This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. I want to start out this program by giving an attaboy to some people who deserve it, the good folks over at the McClatchy Organization. McClatchy Newspapers collaborated with the investigative newsroom ProPublica and PBS's Frontline to produce a series which aired this week on PBS stations. The subject was the mystery of the anthrax attacks that took place in America back in 2001, and the man who was fingered by the FBI as being the likely culprit, researcher Bruce Ivins, who committed suicide. The anthrax files... Special Frontline presentation aired 9 o'clock last Tuesday on KVIE locally. And three installments appeared in the Sacramento Bee, ending today. To make a long story short, it appears that the case against Bruce Ivins was considerably less than airtight, raising the distinct possibility that the perpetrator of those attacks 10 years ago is still at large. On either next week's program or the one after, we're going to try and talk to some of the writers they worked on this and, and delve into this disturbing story. We do want to give an attaboy to the people at McClatchy for doing some fine investigative journalism. We, t- we see too little of that in contemporary America. And want to applaud the good people at McClatchy for doing their best to bring us news we should know about. News we should know about even if it requires a lot of extra digging and a lot of extra bother. Too much of today's news reporting... Uh, as a result of someone reading a press release handed to them by the people that want to get their version of the news out. So, again, to the folks at McClatchy, well done. Let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question today is the 13th of October. On October 13th in the year 54, Tiberius Claudius, the Emperor of Rome, died at the relatively young age of 63. His is considered to be a good reign, his 40 years following that of Caesar Augustus. Unfortunately, upon his death, he was succeeded by Caligula. By all accounts, a very bad man. On this date in the year 1534, the Italian Cardinal Alessandro Farnese was elected Pope and took the name Paul III. Rumor had it that his support resulted largely from the romantic affair between his sister and the previous pope, Alexander VI. On this date in 1884 in Washington, D.C., delegates from 25 nations agreed to adopt the Greenwich Meridian, the line of longitude passing through Greenwich, England, as the Prime Meridian, which would later lead to those BBC announcements about whatever hour it was, Greenwich Mean Time. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that half the year London goes on to daylight savings time and therefore is not on Greenwich Mean Time. If you have any data on this, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com, especially if you're listening in the UK. On October 13th in 1923, Ankara was chosen to be the capital of the new Republic of Turkey. This was the doing of Kemal Ataturk and his allies. And we promised you for years we're going to talk about that man sometime on this program. Looks as though we finally have someone lined up to do so, which I expect to do in December. Ataturk took a backward Islamic state and turned it into a modern European republic. That took some doing, and how he did it is something we ought to look at. 
And bending the rules a little bit, we would note that it was 64 years ago tomorrow, October 14th in 1947, that U.S. Air Force test pilot Chuck Yeager became the first person to fly faster than the speed of sound. It's been our great pleasure to have interviewed General Yeager for you, dear listener, and we refer you to our archives if you didn't catch that on the first go-through. General Yeager was very gracious with his time, and we hope that we will speak with him again. of the day comes from the late Steve Jobs, who said, Being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night saying we've done something wonderful, that's what matters. Our quip of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, YouTube has launched a politics channel so that people can easily find videos of the presidential candidates. Today they posted their first video. Cat winning a debate against Michelle Bachman. Our bit of humor of the day comes from the Dave Barry calendar. Said Dave, Men are always trying to rush through the mating steps. Stand next to any construction site when an attractive woman walks past, you'll hear construction workers suggesting she go directly to, like, step 74. This approach never works. Construction workers have been trying it since they built the pyramids. And not once in all that time has a woman ever said, that's a great idea. Let's have carnal relations right now on this pile of dirt. And yet, guys keep trying. Why? Because we're dumber than fruit flies. Fruit flies at least have some clue about what their mating ritual is supposed to consist of. Whereas human guys get most of their information from letters written by imaginary people to Penthouse Magazine. Our stat of the day is one, as in one dog. With the revelation that to control Shanghai's growing pet population and curb rabies, China's most populous city has introduced a one-dog policy. In a move reminiscent of China's family planning measures introduced in 1976, Shanghai residents are only allowed one dog per household. Now, as far as we know here at Radio Parallax, this particular news item has no relation to the cancellation of China's annual dog meat festival. But we suspect that restrictions on uh, dog ownership may make fewer dogs available for eating. But frankly, we just don't know. So any listeners in China, if you have any insights into the dogs for eating versus pets story, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We have so many things to talk about in today's program. Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for the old adage about returning to the scene of the crime. After Charles Burnett, age 29, allegedly robbed the same Manhattan bank branch three days running. On his third try, he was arrested. And apparently it's been a bad week and I guess a bad year for drinking and driving which surely has to be good news, but apparently, according to the Center for Disease Control, federal officials are reporting that drunken driving incidents have declined their lowest level in two decades. The reason? Apparently, in our poor economic climate, more people are just drinking at home again. And it was an ugly week last week for ethics in sports. With the news that in the UK's Keidler Marathon last week, 
Participant Rob Sloan apparently felt that running the first 20 miles of the marathon was sufficient. He was thereby entitled to take a bus for the last 6.2. Keidler's impressive 2 hours 51 minutes time put him in third place initially. But reportedly, it didn't take long for event organizers of this Newcastle race to notice that Sloan had walked off the course at the 20-mile mark and hopped onto a spectator shuttle bus. He's apparently also <laughs> witnessed getting off the bus and then emerging from the woods near the finish line to run past the podium at the end. Said Dave Roberts, one of the marathon organizers, people in cars following the bus saw him get on and off. People saw him running through the bushes. We had him hook, line, and sinker. Reportedly, Sloan initially called the accusation laughable, but then admitted his transgression after a brief investigation. He reportedly will go before district committee this month and face the possibility of being banned from marathons. You know, here at Radio Parallax, we don't consider this to be a particularly hard call. Runners known to get on buses while participating in marathons, really do deserve to be banned, don't you think? Mr. Millen suggests that what he really ought to face is being banned from riding buses. Let's do a couple follow-up items. We want to note that the good people over at the San Francisco Chronicle may or may not have taken a lead from Radio Parallax. In extolling the virtues of a trip from Coalinga to Ventura down Highway 33. Noted Hugh Byrne and Annette Asimov Byrne, Route 33, 190-mile stretch from Ventura to Coalinga in the Central Valley, is an antidote to the frenzied Interstate 5 superhighway it parallels for much of the way. They added the loveliest portions of the road lie to the south, where Route 33 is the Ojai Freeway. Beginning in the seaside mission town of Ventura at the junction of Highway 1 and Highway 101, the road leaves oil derricks and citrus groves behind and takes you in no time to the dramatic pink Topa Topa Mountains that single your arrival in picturesque Ojai. It is, in fact, a marvelous stretch of highway, and we highly recommend it. Especially, dear listener, if you have a motorcycle. We talked at length about uh, Hawaii a few weeks back on this program was really struck by this article uh, written in the Los Angeles Times by Amina Khan about how the Hawaiians began efforts to save their coral reefs back in the 1400s. Apparently in the 15th century, native Hawaiian islanders were engaging in sustainable practices to preserve their coral reefs, which ushered in 400 years of recovery. This comes out of research done by an international team led by social scientist John Kittinger of Stanford, who looked into the island's history to see how far back human impacts on the reefs could be traced. This team looked at 17 archaeologic sites around the islands to see what had been tossed over the centuries into community dumps. Apparently, local Hawaiians instituted some rules on how to harvest fish and how to raise, uh, raise fish in ponds and prevent runoff from their taro ponds. And as a result, the coral reefs did very well for several centuries. Unfortunately, after Europeans arrived on the scene, a lot of these methods were abandoned. Sediment uh, from runoff soon filled up the reefs, and dynamite fishing was introduced, which, as you can imagine, was not good for local wildlife. The article notes the Hawaiian island reefs have largely been in decline ever since, but of course, uh, in the midst of this study, there's hope that by 
taking appropriate steps, they can make a comeback. This is a, becoming a critical thing on coral reefs all around the world. Steps do need to be taken, like now. All right, and some spectacularly good news. It appears that the federal government is pretty much, I guess, taking care of most of the problems it's dealing with. Wars are being brought to an end. Healthcare issues are being resolved. Our infrastructure is being repaired. And in the wake of all this tremendous progress, the feds are now focusing on, on some lesser important things like meddling in California's marijuana dispensaries. Now, the current system we have in the wake of Prop 215 and others of, of having dispensaries in California in which one can purchase various cannabis products if one has a recommendation from one's doctor, well, it's, it's, it's not a perfect system, that's for sure. But you'd think, wouldn't you, that the Justice Department has items of greater priority to tackle than this? You'd think that, wouldn't you? And by the way, well done, the Obama administration, which had previously uh, pledged a hands-off policy toward California marijuana dispensaries. Leaving some to ask, has this guy done anything he promised he was going to do when we elected him? I mean, really? He's talking about getting out of Afghanistan in 2014. Note of the editor of the San Francisco Chronicle in an editorial, it's true that medical marijuana clubs are flourishing in a legal netherworld with few restrictions. But Washington's leadership has been erratic and unhelpful in charting a course for the humane law supported by California voters 15 years ago. Blame should also go to cities and counties eager to milk the trade and Sacramento leaders who've shown little interest in reforming the state's lax guidelines. The latest crackdown is remarkable for how far the Obama administration has shifted in its thinking. When he first took office, the president said he had little interest in going after state policies at odds with federal strictures. That stance was backed up by Attorney General Eric Holder, who likewise gave the issue a low priority. That outlook completely flipped earlier this year with the Department of Justice warning that dispensaries and growers would face drug and money laundering charges, a warning hardened by their actions this week. You know, one method that the, the feds are using, noted the Sacramento Bee, is targeting dispensaries whose locations are at odds with state law or local ordinances prohibiting medical marijuana sales near schools, parks, and other sensitive sites. In a letter, a letter from Melinda Haig, the San Francisco-based U.S. attorney from the Northern District, sent to the building landlords of the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana, which is California's longest-standing dispensary, letters said that the operators of the Fairfax store opened months before California voters legalized medical marijuana in 1996 could face up to 40 years in prison under federal laws against drug sales near parks. Apparently, the Marin Alliance is within 1,000 feet of the community's Bolinas Park. By the way, according to the B, the state's making $100 million or more in taxes on dispensary sales. Does this make any sense to you, dear listener? There's another reason for you to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We'd like to hear what you think about the federal crackdown. By the way, we're still leaving things open for you to write us and tell us why it is you think you ought to be a guest on this program. We've only gotten three responses so far. We'd like to hear from at least 20 people before we sit down and decide who we'd like to have as a guest. But uh, speaking of uh, federal inadequacies, let's look at this story from the Associated Press by Tracy Cohn. 
Dateline Fresno, California. Dozens of foreign insects and plant diseases slipped undetected into the U.S. in the years after 9-11 when authorities were so focused on preventing another attack that they overlooked a pest explosion that threatened the quality of our nation's food supply. At this time, hundreds of agricultural scientists responsible for stopping invasive species at the borders were reassigned to anti-terrorism duties in the newly formed Homeland Security Department, a move that scientists say cost billions of dollars in crop damage and eradication efforts from the California vineyards to Florida's citrus groves. The consequences come home to consumers in the form of higher grocery prices, substandard produce, and the risk of environmental damage from chemicals needed to combat pests. Homeland Security officials acknowledge making mistakes and now say they're working to step up agricultural inspections at border checkpoints, airports, and seaports. Using the Freedom of Information Act, the AP obtained data on border inspections covering the period from 2001 to 2010. This analysis showed that the number of inspections, along with the number of foreign species that were stopped, fell dramatically. You know, maybe we can assign some of these federal uh, federal attorneys to put on some caps and start inspecting bananas coming in from Hawaii. That'd probably be maybe a better use of their time, don't you think? Actually, you're not allowed to bring in bananas from Hawaii. So I hope if they reassign some of these federal attorneys, someone will point that out to them. But uh, again, back to the article, it notes that uh, no fewer than 19 Mediterranean fruit fly infestations took hold in California. And the European grapevine moth triggered spraying and quarantines across wine country. The Asian citrus silid, which can carry a disease that have decimated Florida orange groves, crossed the border from Mexico, threatening California's $1.8 billion citrus industry. New Zealand's light brown apple moth also emerged in California, prompting the government in 2008 to bombard the Monterey Bay area with 1,600 pounds of pesticides. This spring drew complaints because it caused respiratory problems in people and killed birds. Oh, and by the way, after spending $110 million to eradicate the moth, it didn't work. You know, another question I would, I would have is, how effective do you think it was to reassign people whose job it was to check apples, and maybe were experts in areas like citrus canker, into thwarting Islamic fundamentalists from doing harm against America? Anyway... Let's hear from our old pal, Will Durst, America's foremost political comic. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words about the decision by banks to charge customers five bucks a month to use ATM cards for purchases. And those few words are, you greedy, stinking, ravenous, slime-sucking, avaricious pigs. How much money do you have to make? I mean, I get it. You're not a non-profit organization. Yeah, sure, you're out to make some money, aren't we all? But do you have to make all the money? What were your profits last year? Is it a bazillion dollars enough? Shouldn't you leave a little behind for the rest of us so we can do business with you? Otherwise, you won't have a reason to exist anymore. Or is that the ultimate goal? To gather together all the money in the world and then we borrow money from you just to get a look at the money we no longer have. 
This is my money we're talking about. You're supposed to pay me to use my money. What's the interest rate on savings accounts now? 0.02%? Oh, right. The Fed has determined that interest rates should stay low in order to boost the economic climate. But wouldn't that also mean that interest rates on my credit card should go down too? I'm paying 20%. In some states, that's known as usury and is illegal. For crumb's sake, you can get a better deal in the street from Vinny. And how many different ways can you charge me for using my money? Don't you get it? It's my money. We're not talking about credit cards where I pay you to lend me money. These are automatic deductions from an account into which I've already placed money. My money. Keep your filthy paws off my money, you damn stinking apes. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. As you can see, I'm just a wee bit ambivalent on this one. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. I know a lot of you have asked about uh, Will Durst. Many of our younger listeners are not as familiar with him as they might be. He does occasionally make local appearances and is doing so this week in several venues. I'm sure that a lot of you are going to want to go see him. He'll be appearing tonight at the Vallejo Naval and Historical Museum in Vallejo at 7.30. On Friday night, he'll be in McKinley Park in Sacramento, an event hosted by the Democratic Party of Sacramento County. And it appears that uh, on this coming Saturday, he will be here in Davis. He'll be at the Davis Music Theater Company Performing Arts Center. And, of course, on October 27th, Will will be appearing at a KZFR benefit up in Chico at the Sierra Nevada Brewery. I hope that before the show ends, we'll hear from uh, Mr. Durst in person to kind of clarify a little bit more about some of these events. I know that some of you are going to want to go see him, and there is more information available at his website at willdurst.com. At any rate, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You are listening to Radio Parallax. we got lots more. Stick around. Yeah. 